Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. Let's check in with Congressman Mark Pocan. He is the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He represents the 2nd District of Wisconsin brilliantly in the House of Representatives. His website is pocan.house.gov. You can tweet him at rep, as in representative, rep, R-E-P, Mark Pocan, spelled just like it sounds. Congressman, welcome back. Thank you, Tom. Glad to be here. Great having you with us. What's at the top of your mind here as we start this day? What are the issues that you think are you know, important? What's going on in Congress? What are the things we should be attending to? Well, we're back for the next three weeks in Congress. We're going to be passing a couple of authorizations, the Intelligence and the National Defense Authorization. A lot of progressive amendments we have to that. We're hoping that we can get added. Also, we'll be passing the minimum wage increase in the next three weeks. So, Looking forward to that. That's one of the priorities our caucus had, the Democratic caucus had. And, of course, dealing with all the fallout of the situation still at the border and the conditions for the children. And I'll be going on a CODEL actually down to Homestead down in Florida on Monday myself to look at the conditions firsthand. Wow. Do you think that the situation at the border... I was reading a piece this morning, and forgive me, I don't recall exactly where I read a lot of stuff for the show prep, that was suggesting that a survey of Republicans, over 50% of Republicans, indicated that they think what Trump is doing on the border, fully informed, is the right thing. You know, locking up kids in cages and stuff. They're just like, you know, so, I guess, opposed to brown people? I don't know, but how do we deal with this? Well, the good news is we had a poll a few weeks ago we saw And no matter how you tested Donald Trump's message on the border, the best he got to was like 41%. And our message, the worst we got to was 61%. So I think most real people, not just, I know that was a poll of Republicans, but independents and Democrats, when you start looking and expanding that to everybody, most people have someone in their family that was an immigrant. They know that they came to this country, had opportunities. That's why they're here with their opportunities, and I think that message isn't working. So you're right, for a certain part that doesn't like people with skin colors darker than their own, that's 
the way that they're going to think. But when you take in everybody, they're not winning with that message. And I, and I think that's a really positive statement about the country, yeah. that we're not winning with that message. Yeah, that's pretty remarkable. Well, I've got five calls on the line here so sure. far. First is you're in the 608 area code. I've got your phone. It ends in 7178. You, if you tell us what your name is and where yeah. you're calling from, you've got a question for Congressman Pocan. Yeah, my name's Dave. I'm calling from Evansville, Wisconsin. Mark is my congressman. Mark, I wish you could see me because you would recognize me. Every time you see me on the street or at your place of business, you call me by my name. I cannot begin to tell you how angry I am with you and all of the Democratic caucus. Nancy Pelosi apparently believes that it's my responsibility to get rid of a criminal president, a president who is so criminal, we can all see him committing crimes every single day. Okay, got the rant. Let's let Congressman Pocan respond. Yeah, I'm not quite sure, Tom, unfortunately, what Dave's rant is. I know he's not happy with Leader Pelosi. I'm assuming not proceeding on an impeachment hearing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Over 80 of us, including myself, Dave, so I don't know why you'd be mad at me, have said we should start the impeachment inquiry, but we're not there with the leader yet. And I think a big day will be about another week when we have Mr. Mueller appear before Congress, and uh, hopefully that will be well watched and we can get the message across that we need to do more. But our problem has been a lot of the witnesses have not been coming in because Donald Trump has not been letting them. That alone should tell people that he's not innocent, right? If he doesn't want people to come testify, you don't look very innocent when you block people. But we're still trying to get our leadership to be there. But you've got 80 House Democrats now saying, let's start the inquiry so we can get more witnesses to come. I understand you may have a disagreement with Ms. Pelosi, but I wouldn't blame all Democrats, especially as that number keeps growing. Yeah. Smitty in Hawaii, in a town I can't pronounce the name of. You want to tell us your Smitty? Tom, again, it, Obi-Tom Kenobi, again, it is Kauna Kakai. Thank you. Kauna Kakai, I got it. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yeah, I just want to go along with the first caller. Welcome to the United States of Amnesia. I remember Daryl Issa saying he was going to hold hearings and investigations every day on the Obama administration. Jordan, Meadows, and McCarthy, if Hillary had been elected, they were going to start impeachments from day one. I think your biggest challenge is to get the other 150 or 60 some odd Democratic representatives to get on the impeachment inquiry bandwagon. Every single day it's something different and we're not going to have a democracy left. Bill Barr is a crooked on the take. Mnuchin, McConnell, Elaine Chow, now Alex Acosta, all the way down the line. The EPA, the Interior Department, it's all hell in a handbasket. But thank you for your good work. You're certainly a Jedi. Thank you. Well, thank you, Smitty. I think next week will be really pivotal. I think when you have Bob Mueller uh, finally appearing before Congress, even though I believe it's a limited amount of time we have him for, it will be one of the most important moments around this entire issue. And I think uh, being able to ask some questions and hopefully get some honest, clear answers, especially about what's in the report, hopefully will be another catalyst we need to get farther down this process. So you know, the number keeps growing of the House Democrats asking for an impeachment inquiry every time the president blocks us somewhere else. You've got more people jumping on that. But let's wait for next week and see if that can help move our leadership, because right now, Leader Pelosi is very clear 
she doesn't intend to start the impeachment process. Larry in Melbourne, Florida, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. I have an idea for progressives for the next year. Declare 2020 the year of the worker. And then you take May Day, and we all know the significance of May Day. You probably go on for 20 minutes about May Day. But we need to uh, have a big celebration in Washington. Okay, for International Workers Day, Congressman? Yes, I think, you know, Larry, I think that that's part of the message that we've been trying to say and what we did run on last fall was get rid of the culture of corruption in Washington that's working against the average person, the average worker in the country. We talked about raising the wage, and then we're going to do that in the next few weeks, and I think that's really important. I wish we had more we could do and actually see pass through Congress to help people unionize, because I think that also is an important way to highlight the worker. And then also we're dealing with health care, which, again, for most workers who especially don't have that as a benefit, we're trying to address that concern. But I hear what you're saying. We try to talk about it. From the perspective of the kitchen table, what people talk about, and I think economics and working issues are right on top. Yeah, amen. We'll be back. It's Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls, Middays with Mark on the Tom Harbin program. You can reach his website at pocan.house.gov. You can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. He represents the 2nd District of Wisconsin, and he's the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Your opportunity to talk to one of the big cheese progressives in the U.S. House of Representatives. We'll be right back with more of your calls for Congressman Pocan right after this. Morris in Long Beach, California, listening to KPFK. You're on the air with Congressman Pokian, Morris. Hello, Professor. Please forgive me. I'm on speakerphone, but I'm hope I'm close enough to the phone where you can hear me. Yep, uh, sounds good. Stick with Nancy Pelosi. She's got a good plan. When she gets this stuff on TV, every Republican's going to run like a cockroach when the lights turn on from darkness. I'm a little concerned, too, but I see what her plan is. When the election go down and this stuff is on TV about this criminal family, I think people are going to change their opinion about this psychopath in the White House. Just stick with it just a little bit longer. Thank you. Yeah, Morrison, I think the reason why so many people on this program call in and why 80 of us are concerned here is that a lot of those people aren't able to come and testify because they're not being able to because President Trump won't allow them, and we can't get them on TV. So that's the real conundrum we're in. How do you compel witnesses to come and do just that, tell what they know and answer questions so that it is on TV so that people will actually see it? And I agree with you. At that point, we win. But we've got to figure out how to get those witnesses. I think that's the real political issue we're having, which is why many of us are saying we need to get more witnesses, and the only way you do that is to start the impeachment inquiry. Tamara in Carl Junction, Missouri. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hello, Congressman Pocan. My question is, while you're down there looking at Homestead, there's another one that they just opened up for only teenage girls, it's nine miles from Mar-a-Lago, and it's run by the U.S. Committee for Refugees and Immigrants. I'd like to know if you're going to try and get in there and see what's happening in this place, because with all that's going on with Jeffrey Epstein and Trump and Mar-a-Lago and young teenagers, this kind of bothered me that it just announced it July 4th that they opened this facility for teen girls only. Wow. Yet this code will not because we just have Monday uh, until 2 o'clock and we have to fly in because we have session Monday night. We have votes at 6.30, so uh, there's no way we could get to all those facilities on Monday. Um, but 
because it's the subcommittee on appropriation that has jurisdiction over human services, uh, we will for sure get to the Homestead facility, but I'll, I'll raise this issue. I'm sure other members in Florida who are visiting facilities uh, could visit that, so I don't think that uh, no one will get there. It's just for this particular trip, given the time we have, we've got about a five-hour period, uh, not even a five-hour period, because we'll have to fly out at two. We'll mainly get to Homestead. Steve in Napa, California, listening on 9, 10 a.m. out of San Francisco. Steve, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Question basically is, my understanding is that Iran years ago proposed a deal for a nuclear-free Middle East zone. If Israel would agree to give up their nuclear weapons, if they would give up a, their own nuclear weapons program. Has so there been any discussion in Washington about that? We don't seem to hear much about it. Yes, yeah, Steve, I don't know if I've even ever heard of that specifically, so I really can't address it. I don't know of any proposal ever made like that. Okay. Nick in Buffalo, New York, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hey, Congressman, thanks for taking my call. I uh, just read that in Iowa they are going to move to virtual caucuses. And I think in Nevada, too, but I don't know the details there. But it looks like only 10% of the delegates are going to go to those virtual ones. So it seems to me like this is just kind of setting us up as a Democratic Party for a bunch of conflict. Wait a second. Is it, Nick, isn't it that they're going to, or Congressman, isn't it just that they're going to let people, particularly disabled people or people who have a hard time physically showing up, to phone in and come in by telephone, which is going to expand the number of people participating in the caucus rather than diminishing it, like, like Nick is suggesting? I don't know if there are any other specifics, but that's as I understood it. Yeah, you know, I've been to the Iowa caucus several times, and it's a lengthy process. You know, I do think there's a pretty fair discussion point about the fact that we have closed primaries, open primaries, and caucuses, those are all very different animals. But I don't know of anything that's going to take away from the integrity of the, the Iowa caucus from the proposal that I've seen. Yeah, same here. Stephen, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yes, Congressman. I have a nephew that worked here in New Mexico on the Epstein Ranch. And Jeffrey Epstein's staff was very well aware of some of the things he was doing with underaged women. One of the things that was discussed amongst the people he worked with was how Donald Trump and Bill Clinton used to use his jet for common things like going on charity runs in other countries for the Clinton Foundation and how Trump and Clinton would also use the jet to go down to Central America for God knows what was going on there with young girls and brothels. Do you know anything of this? And is it, shouldn't this go to the top of the list of things we investigate about this guy? Yeah, well, I think what we're going to see come out of New York is going to be expansive from everything I'm hearing. What I have seen is Bill Clinton has said that on behalf of the foundation, I think he did take a number, like four or five flights. I have not seen that with Donald Trump, although I know Donald Trump has been at parties at his home going back, I think, a couple decades. But this has been very thoroughly done in the court system, and I think we will see more information that comes out of that. But I've never heard no stories about people going to different countries or other things that weren't related to the foundation or other... Uh, yeah, we really don't know about Trump. Trump. Clinton has issued yeah. a statement saying exactly when he was on Epstein's plane and who was with him. And it was his staff and people on the board of his foundation right. every single time. And Clinton has said, no, I didn't know anything about this. We haven't heard from Trump. So we'll see. Yeah. Uh, Alice in Aurora, Illinois, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, Congressman. I just don't understand how people can refuse a subpoena. My question is, why aren't individuals who refuse subpoenas 
facing jail time. And, and I'd like to add to that, if I may, Congressman. Yes. Susan McDougall went to prison for years, as I recall, for refusing to testify before a grand jury that was Ken Starr's grand jury that was looking into Bill Clinton. Uh, now, I realize a grand jury is different from Congress, but let me add that <laughs> to her question, yeah. I guess. And I think it's either this afternoon or tomorrow, we actually have a meeting with the attorney for the House to get more details on this. But I know from previous conversations, they've said they're leaving all options open as they move forward. But it's still the legal process, and it can take a very long time to get there, which is, again, why some of us would prefer to do the impeachment inquiry, because that gives us a few more levers to compel people to come. But there are various consequences from imprisonment to fining and other things, and uh, hopefully we'll have a little better idea what direction they're looking at moving in the near, very near future. Amir in Los Angeles, you're on the air with Congressman Pocamp. Yes, hello, Congressman. I'm very much for impeaching, at least starting the impeachment process, because then a lot of facts do come out. However, I think before doing that, there should be a resolution that the Congress reserves the right that there would be no more wars, because otherwise, if the seat gets too hot, then he may take us to war. And then once he takes us to war, then a lot of people start rallying behind him because they feel threatened that we are at war, so we should keep quiet. Yeah, Amir, and that's why in the national defense bill, we're putting specific language around Iran and some other specific instances for this very reason. But at the end of the day, we need to change our AUMF that is too wide open, that allows presidents, doesn't matter if they're Democrats or Republicans, too much latitude to go to war without consulting Congress, which is what Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution says. So share your concerns. And a lot of us were a little worried with what he's doing in Iran right now. could be for that very reason. But we do have some language that we're going to be moving forward this week to deal with some of that. Paul in Taos, New Mexico. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hey, thank you, Congressman. If I can express just a little frustration, I do have a question. And by the way, the problem in the Senate is not Mitch McConnell. It's Chuck Schumer. And the problem in the Pelosi, and two things, I guarantee you, I mean, low-hanging fruit. They cannot pick low-hanging fruit. We have the law on our side to have his tax return. Paul, you have 15 seconds to ask a question. And then to play out the clock, and then there's going to be an election. And guess what? If he, if, if we can't... Okay, Congressman, you want to respond to Paul? I didn't get a question. I'm sorry. Yeah, there was no question, as far as I can okay. tell. But we have 30 seconds. <laughs> Yeah. So what are your thoughts on how this is, you know, obviously he's talking about impeachment and taking on Trump. You know, how do you think this is playing yeah. out? Again, I think Donald Trump is doing plenty on his own that's going to affect his future, whether it be in the election or I agree. We need to start impeachment inquiry here. But the leaders not there and the majority of Democrats haven't said that yet. We're in the majority. So I think we're going to have to continue to make our case in public advocacy through the grassroots. But next week is going to be pivotal. And I think that day with Mr. Mueller, I think much of the country is going to stop and watch that. Let's hope that that will be a catalyst for the change we all want. Yeah. And meanwhile, if the majority of Democrats start saying we want an impeachment hearing, that might that influence will... Nancy Pelosi. So people should call the Democratic members of Congress and ask them where they stand, right? You absolutely. should always contact your elected officials on any issue you feel strongly about. Great. Congressman Mark Pocan, thanks so much for being with us today. Yeah, of course. Thank you, Tom, as always. Great talking with you. We'll be yeah, back. Same here. Thank you. Many investors are asking, how long will this economic bubble last? When the inevitable crash takes place, what will that look like for your retirement? Will you have enough time to rebuild, or are you currently looking for ways to safeguard your existing portfolio? If the worst happens, it won't just be the markets and real estate. With the Fed's nonstop money printing, a dollar collapse is even more concerning. 
There are simple charts the Federal Reserve provides to help us investors make educated decisions. Google the Fred chart on the purchasing power of the dollar and look at the data yourself. Also take notice that the last 100 years of recessions have consistently occurred within 10 years from each other. The last recession was in 2008. What does that tell you? Gold and silver are statistically the best hedge against volatile markets and economies. Call my friends at ITM Trading at 1-888-OWN-GOLD. Ask them for their free gold protection guide and protect your future while you still can. Call 1-888-OWN-GOLD. That's 1-888-OWN-GOLD. Welcome back. Let's check in with Luke Vargas with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by GoatsForTheOldGoat.com and Loving What You Do, Ellen Ratner's new book. Luke is the chief foreign correspondent for Talk Media News, joins us today from New York. You can follow him on Twitter at The Courier. And uh, Luke, FP, I'm not sure what that is, is reporting that foreign France... Foreign policy, yeah. Foreign policy, okay, thank you. Is uh, reporting that France and the UK will deploy more troops to Syria to offset withdrawing American forces... France and the UK, the European countries are getting into Syria as we're getting out of Syria. What's going on here? And Syria is, you know, allies with Russia. I mean, this this has a, a huge potential to be very, very messy at the very least, does it not? Yeah, and I think given a lot of the developments we've been seeing around Europe from the detention of this Iranian vessel that was reportedly going to Syria, detained by the UK Navy several days ago at Gibraltar, between all these decisions around how to try and keep the Iran nuclear deal alive and, and the role that these European countries, Germany, France, and the UK have in sort of deciding, the, deciding the fate of that. I think there's a lot of tendency here to interpret this news about the Syria deployment as part of that bigger picture. I'm not sure it's necessarily so interlinked here. But, you know, basically, we're learning from the U.S. that we're going down from about 1,000 troops in Syria, we're, we think, to about 400 by the end of the year. And this is not a huge number of troops to make up. But Britain and France, as of today, according to foreign policy, have decided to try and make up the difference there. And it's, again, worth remembering here that in the Syrian conflicts, basically from the beginning, these countries have been right with us. They didn't deploy troops on quite the same level, but they have engaged in airstrikes with us. They've had ground troops in those areas in northeastern Syria. They consider the relationship with Kurdish groups in that region who have been really instrumental in pushing back ISIS to be important for their own national security here. And so, you know, I'd say given the intense cooperation we've seen between the U.S. and France and the U.K. in the Syrian conflict thus far, it's not surprising to see they're willing to go along with us here. But it is, I think, raising some justifiable questions about whether the U.K. is, in particular, bandwagoning with the United States on the bigger Iran policy, which I think is the big conversation to be having this week, with that oil tanker, with the decision in the next few days we're, we're predicting, possibly, for uh, the U.K. maybe to be the first country to trigger the dispute resolution mechanism of the Iran nuclear deal, which would basically set a two-month countdown to the possible, actually, sort of extermination of the Iran nuclear deal. Is Great Britain in this Syria action doing a little more than possibly the surface shows? Are they basically closing the policy gap with the United States on the broader Mideast policy? That's, I think, a big question that we have to keep asking ourselves. I don't have a map in front of me. I'm sorry. My recollection, my understanding of this whole situation was basically that there was, you know, what used to be or what the Kurds have always wanted to be part of greater Kurdistan, that, you know, there's Kurds in Syria, this was the Kurdish, largely Kurdish region, yep. that it was overrun by ISIS, that we helped take it back, or the Kurds fought them back with, with some help from us. Our troops are there basically to 
provide protection for the Kurds and that we've staked out this corner of Syria. A, is that an accurate recollection slash understanding? And B, what does that have to do with Iran? Well, yeah, I think your geographical familiarity with the crisis seems sort of on point that you have, if you want to break down Syria into thirds, and they're not all equal territory, you have sort of the southwestern third is controlled by the Assad government at this point, the north Western, it's really more like an eighth of the country, is very contested. That's where most of the fighting is. That's where Russia and Turkey are overlapping. And then this sort of third off to the northeast, bordering Turkey on one side and Iraq on the other side, is pretty much held by the Kurds. And that is where the U.S. and our coalition forces have been sort of backed up into. We've decided to get out of some of the hairier areas where we're really coming in contact with the Russians, and it's probably for the better. Yeah, so we're there. And I think a part of how it possibly ties in with Iran is you hear arguments from the Brits and others, particularly from the Americans, that a reason to stay there in addition to helping out our Kurdish allies is to prevent the you know, Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps and its proxies from taking over that area. Now, I say there's definitely been exaggerated claims about an Iranian land bridge, but I would also say that is a corridor that I think many members of the anti-ISIS coalition realizes will be filled, at least to a degree, by proxy groups that are much less inclined to follow Western interests in that country if they do cede the area. So I think that's a reason why these countries feel the need to be there. And given the number of captured ISIS fighters there as well, I think there's an argument that you are hearing in Britain and France in particular that we need to keep our troops there to prevent, you know, foreign fighters from returning back to Western Europe from that region in particular. So, you know, a few more hundred troops from France and the United Kingdom in that context, not really so crazy at the end of the day. Yeah, remarkable stuff. And what's the latest out of Hong Kong? The extradition bill has been temporarily stopped, but is not fully withdrawn. That's a kind of a cop-out answer from Hong Kong's government. I wouldn't expect street protests there to stop. Yeah. Okay, that's a fascinating insight. Luke Vargas with Talk Media News. You can follow him on Twitter at The Career. Thanks, Luke. Thank you. Great talking with you. Epstein has been now uh, charged by federal charges, which has got to be causing some uncomfortable moments in the Justice Department, given that now this is an unsubstantiated allegation. I should qualify this by saying but it's been floating around for quite some time that there's a, a woman now who says that when she was 14, she was at Epstein's place and Donald Trump raped her. And we know that Trump hung out with Epstein a lot. Now, I know that, uh, you know, all the Republicans are going to call in and say, yeah, Bill Clinton flew in his plane once, too, or maybe more than once. Who knows? But Bill Clinton's not president of the United States right now. Bill Clinton hasn't been president of the United States for, what is it, uh, 19 years? But Donald Trump is president of the United States and has over 20 women who have alleged sexual assault at his hands. Now, you've got E. Jean Carroll coming out last week with her book saying that Trump actually raped her. She couldn't tell if he got all the way, shall we say, or if only halfway. Apparently a comment about the size of his fingers, but or not fingers, but you know what I mean. So here we've got a guy in the White House who has a long history of this. Is this indictment? And the clearly wide-open investigation now that they're laying out, and this is as good as any question, among others. I mean, there's a bunch of questions for the hour. But number one, is this Epstein charge, or these charges, number one? And number two, the I mean, they came right out on television and said, hey, if you know anything about, you know, if you're one of these kids that Jeff Epstein, Jeffrey Epstein was 
paying apparently several hundred dollars per quote massage. If you are one of these kids, come forward, don't worry, you know, you'll be protected, we'll, we'll tell your story appropriately and all that kind of thing. Is this going to implicate Donald Trump in even more of you know, the crimes against women and girls that he has been accused of? I mean, going back to when he used to brag, I think it was on Howard Stern's show, about how he bought the Miss Teenage USA pageant and uh, one of his favorite things was to walk into the dressing rooms and catch them naked. These are teenagers and underage girls. So we've got that, number one. Number two, the American concentration camps and voter suppression. This is a question, there's been a thread over at Democratic Underground, one of the progressive blogs, for quite some time, asking, will you be able to forgive them? And it's basically, you know, if Trump loses the 2020 election and just kind of goes away, and I don't, frankly don't expect him to go away, at least not for the Fox News crowd. But in any case, you know, if he's no longer president, and rationality returns, shall we say, and you've had friends or acquaintances or neighbors who have just gone full Trump and recognize the error of their ways, or just, I don't know, morph into normal Republicans or something like that, excuse me, Will you be able to forgive them? A larger question, I think, over the short term, and I asked that question too, but I think the other question over the short term is, what does it take for Trump supporters to figure out that he's lied to them over 10,000 times, that his presidency is based on lies, that his campaigns are based on lies, that he's just lying through his teeth? What will it take for people who are Trump supporters? Do you know anybody in your life who has woken up from the Trump fog? Should we even call it the Trump fog? The neo-Nazi fog? Do you know anybody who is, you know, family members, co-workers, who has woken up? What did it take to wake them up? I mean, just, for Justin Amash, it was reading the Mueller report and realizing that this guy's a criminal. And that if he wasn't sitting in the White House, and if Richard Nixon's Department of Justice hadn't issued a memorandum suggesting that they can't indict a sitting president, which is nuts, Trump would be in jail right now. Justin Amash figured that out, and he left the Republican Party and said, okay, that's it. I'm out of here. And it's not just he's leaving the Republican Party. He's also claiming the Republican Party left him, which is something that we heard before from Jeff Flake and from Bob Corker, among others. So, number one, what's going to happen with the Epstein thing? Number two, El Salvador and Honduras right now have the highest civilian homicide rates in the world. Now, just let that sink in for a minute. You've got countries where there are wars going on, the Democratic Republic of Congo, South Sudan, they're both involved in civil wars. You've got countries where there are war wars going on. You know, we're still occupying Afghanistan and Iraq. Libya is in a state of internal war. Um, Syria is a terrible mess. Yemen has been just flattened, destroyed by Saudi Arabia with U.S. bombs, and they continue to murder civilians, the Saudis do in Yemen. And yet, the highest civilian homicide rates in the world are in El Salvador, where Reagan installed death squads back in the day, and Honduras, where we have supported right-wing governments for generations. There's also been a five-year climate change-caused drought in the region, which has wiped out millions of family farms and devastated the largely agricultural-based economies of Central America. So. The result of this is that the highest malnutrition rate in the world, according to the CIA, for the last year that we've got numbers, which was 2016, the highest malnutrition rate in the world is Guatemala. 
Now, if you're the parent of a couple of kids, I mean, just imagine if you're a parent or if you have been a parent, if your kids are now grown, but if you've been a parent, imagine living in a country that literally has a higher civilian homicide rate than some of the most backward and devastated countries in the world that has a higher homicide rate than poverty-stricken Philippines, for example. You're living in that country, and then you get a five-year drought, and so now you're literally seeing children whose growth is stunted, who are being damaged by malnutrition, going to sleep hungry every night. Would you consider taking your children and making a thousand-mile trip past murderers, robbers, rapists, and thieves to get to a country where you think that you might be able to save your child's life? Would you do that? And if you would, then how can you condemn these people who are bringing their kids here now? I mean, people are literally trying to save their children from being murdered or dying of malnutrition-related diseases. And this is why, by the way, in 2014, this is, was the first year of the drought down there, that wiped out the economy and that is leading to this malnutrition. In 2014, only 1% of adults at our southern border presented themselves with children. 1%, just five years ago. Last year, it was 50%. Again, what would it take for you to move your child out of your home, out of your state, out of your country, to go to another country where you don't even speak the language in order to save your child. How bad would it have to get? And how do we communicate this to people? You know, and then on top of this, you got the Trump administration doing everything they can to rig the U.S. Census to undercount Latinos in the United States so that they can essentially gerrymander the whole country to the political and financial benefit of white Republicans. And meanwhile, the Trump administration, you know, Stephen Miller and these guys, they're delighting in the cruelty. They're releasing their internal reports saying, here, look at the terrible pictures. Yes, this is how evil we are. And all these white racists that make up Trump's base are going, yeah, look at what they're doing to the brown people. Isn't that great? You know, in a year and a half, we're going to have a chance to remove these Republicans from office. If we fail to, I don't think America will ever recover. Do you think it's possible if we fail to remove the Republicans from office at the state and federal level? I mean, now the Supreme Court has said that if Republicans can seize control of the state legislature and the governorship, they can gerrymander the entire state. So it becomes like North Carolina, where with a 50-50 vote, excuse me, South Carolina, where a 50-50 vote for members of Congress, you end up with three Democrats and 10 Republicans going to Congress. How does this work? Hey, Tom Harbin here. You know, we've been talking on this program for years now about the benefits of CBD and I just in the last few months discovered New Leaf Naturals CBD oil. It is the premium, organic, highly concentrated, pure CBD oil. CBD oil is non-intoxicating, which makes it ideal for people seeking the health benefits of cannabinoids without the mind-altering effects of medical marijuana. CBD is non-toxic and has potent pain-relieving and anti-inflammatory properties. The brand I trust the most is New Leaf Naturals. New Leaf Naturals is the highest quality CBD oil on the market. It's 100% organic, highly concentrated, contains no additional additives, is grown in the United States, and the only ingredient is hemp. So the product remains in its most pure and 
and simple form. Go to newleafnaturals.com. That's n-u-leafnaturals.com. Save 30% off and receive free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code TOM, T-H-O-M. Go to n-u-leafnaturals.com. For premium cannabinoid wellness, there's only one place, newleafnaturals.com. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Keith in Wilson, Wyoming. Hey, Keith, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, good to talk to you again. Have a little bit of good news going on here. Okay. Uh, not here, actually. Uh, my wife and I have to go to a major university hospital complex once a year, and we usually stay at their guest house, and they have their own TV system. It's a big place, you know, all the mm-hmm. showtimes and HBOs and all the news. Everything except Fox News. Really? And I didn't see Fox News on the, their big channel list that they keep in the rooms, so I asked down in the lobby, and soon as the lady in the lobby knew I wasn't complaining and getting mad about it, she told me that Fox News, especially at night, raises people's blood pressures so far that they weren't getting well or they were getting sicker, so the hospital just decided to pull it from their whole system. Whoa! So this is a little, a little bit of a, a step forward here. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, it is. Fox I, News I, is a public health menace. Yeah, this is uh, exactly, exactly. That Fox News is toxic. Yeah. Makes people sick. We yeah. all know this already. You know, we know those people. But, well, that's uh, that movie, uh, you know, The Brainwashing of My Dad by Jen. Exactly. What was Jen's last name? Whatever her exactly. last name is. Anyway. And maybe, yeah. maybe, you know, some of these people, if it's taken away from them for two weeks, maybe they won't go back to it. You know, they'll get over their addiction. Yeah. It could be. Yeah. And this is in a state that's so red that if you go into a C store, there's a big screen with Fox going on, you know? Wow. Huh. <laughs> Very, very interesting. Keith, thanks for sharing that story. A little bit of good news I just had to share. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for the call. Tyrone in Harlem, New York. Hey, Tyrone, what's up? Hey, Tom, how you doing? Good. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. We tend to live in this alternative universe, well, alternative facts. We already know Trump don't deal with reality, and he's outside the bubble. And I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that too many of us don't participate in voting. Yeah. You know, you said you got, you know, 90, what, 90 million people that's eligible to vote, don't bother to vote. Right. And this guy lost by 5 million, and we... No, you know, he lost by it. 3 million, and he won the Electoral College by fewer than 80,000 votes in three yeah, states. So, and we know how terrible this man is. And, you know, I tend to blame more the people that don't participate than the people that actually vote for him. Because the people that vote for him... If they stand for alternate facts, mm-hmm. that's their problem. But if you don't even bother to participate in the path that this country's taking in, but you're sitting back and enjoying the ride, I think you're more detrimental to this country than somebody that is actually voting to, to deal in an alternate, you know, to live in an alternate universe. Right. I think they're more more detrimental to us. But what do you think would be the single most effective thing that you could say to a Trump voter or somebody who had voted for Trump, if you have anybody in your life, Tyrone, a coworker, friend, neighbor, relative, whatever it may be, who voted for Trump or even thinks about voting for Trump, what do you think is the single most effective? I work with some people. Yeah, so what do you say? Yeah, I work with them. I just, 
continue to try to throw facts as opposed to alternative facts. Let's say, yeah, you know, a broken clock is right twice a day. Mm-hmm. He may do something that is beneficial to this country, yes. But guess what? We don't want a broken clock. We want somebody that's trying to work for all the American people as opposed to just the few at the top. That's and I'd great. Say to him, I'd say to the person, you know, yeah, I like what he did with bump stocks. I like the fact that they came up with that law and what he did with the Criminal Justice First Step Act. Yeah, although he, Congress he did, did both of those things, actually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he but, just signed you know, he claiming, you know, he's claiming everything. He fixed the economy. He fixed the whole world. Right. But I say, oh, one man is an island. We live here together. You can't yeah. just work on one set of population and think that the rest is just going to go away into the sunset and don't bother with trying to make this country what they needed to be. Yeah. And that's for all of us. Yeah. Excellent point, you Tyrone. Know. Excellent point. And a great time to resurrect John Don's poem. Thank you very much for the call. Yeah, all right. Thanks for listening. Right. Good Thanks. talking with you. Andrew in Lakeland, Florida. Hey, Andrew, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom. Well, first year original topic. I live in Central Florida. I know a lot of Trump supporters. Mm-hmm. And they fall into two classes and two subclasses. Okay. Subclass one is the people who are composed of Sarah Huckabee Sanders, Kellyanne Conway, and other people to the right of Trump. There are some Trump supporters you can't look for on the political spectrum. You actually have to open the DSM to find them. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but the other groups are the people who were completely exhausted frantic and betrayed and have been betrayed by corporatist politics in this country for long enough. And they were just desperate enough. Most of those people didn't even really support Trump. You know, they voted for Trump out of desperation. Yeah. Right. They voted for Trump in despair, you know, hoping against hope that something would change. And it did change. It got worse. Well, a lot of those people have already figured out how to get away from Trump. And what you're saying is that basically the thing that caused them to change was that they figured out he'd been lying to them during the campaign. Is that the bottom line? Yeah, that's a big part. An example of that mindset is actually me in the second Bush senior campaign. Mm -hmm. Because I was convinced then, and I am convinced to this moment, that if Bush senior had been elected for a second time, we would have been done with the Republican Party after four more years. You're talking that about the election been, of 1992? Yeah, the senior Bush election. Right, right. And Versus I actually, Bill Clinton. in the same kind of desperation, voted for Bush, hoping he would win, convinced that the population of this country, if it had to live through four more years of what Bush senior was doing, right. would be close to where we are right now. And I really think that, that we wasted most of the time between then and now for that very reason. But listen, kudos to my friend Tyrone. Mm-hmm. Let me throw that in there real quick. And I think, you know, one of my favorite public speech, speakers and influencers is a guy who's always on top of his numbers and is fully capable of, of laying that stuff out. His name is William Barber the second, the Reverend yeah. William Barber. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, you know, one of the things that the Reverend William Barber focuses on in his public comments is if we got everybody in the 13 Confederate states registered to vote, and this is my applause for Tyrone then, because if we could get everybody in the 13 Confederate states, the 13 original Confederate states registered to vote, we could take the South away 
from the corpulent establishment. Yeah, and this, and this, by the way, is what ACORN was in the process of doing, which is why the Republicans took them down with this dishonest campaign. You know, the whack job guy, you know, James, what's his name? I know his name, but I'm not going to say it on the air. Right, we just, yeah, we just have to get back on that same track. And as, as, as I said, you know, William Barber and the Poor People's Campaign is just doing a magnificent job yeah. of getting that stuff out there. Not only is he an inspiring speaker, but he's an inspiring speaker who's got the numbers at his fingertips at every moment. Yeah. About poverty, he makes the point that, hey, you know, these Republicans get poor, working-class white people to go out and vote for them, and then guess who's getting screwed the worst by the Republican Party? Yeah, it's the poor work, working class white people. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. Well, I mean, they're they're doing their best to screw Latinos and African Americans and Asians as well. But yeah, and, and Muslims. I mean, you should go through the list. Andrew, thank you. Excellent points all. Leon in Winnetka, California. Hey, Leon, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, I'm a first time listener. Let me tell you something, brother. I'm glad that you exist because what you've been talking about makes a lot of sense. Well, thank you. Uh, I'm up here in California right now, and let me tell you something about Donald Trump. Definitely, he's an evil man, and we all know that. I have family members who have actually voted for Trump, and they're African Americans. But the sad thing about it is no matter what you tell them, they're still behind this man 100%. Whoa, where are they getting their information? I have a mother-in-law whose religious background would not allow her to vote for a woman, so she voted for Donald Trump, which is crazy to me, because I'm like, wait a minute, you know he's the wrong man, but yet you vote for him. And here's the thing, Tom, and here's what I think people remember in this country. We are so much brainwashed by the media that we don't want to admit that we're wrong for voting for the wrong man. Right. Nobody wants to admit we're wrong. We'll back that man to the very end, even if it's only the demise of our country. We'll still do that. And that's crazy. So your African-American mother-in-law, if I'm remembering yes. correctly, who voted yes. for Donald Trump, um, yes. she yet figured out that that was a big mistake? She voted for him because she said her religion wouldn't let her vote for a woman as well, a leader? we're working on her right now, but each time it comes up, she always says, well, that man's doing great things for the economy. And I'm looking at her like, well, no, that's not accurate because we know this man's not doing great things. It's more like this, Tom. We scare too easily in this country now. Donald Trump rules by fear. He throws these numbers out about how many Latinos are committing crimes, blacks, other cultures. And not to sound racist, but white people in particular are like, oh, my God, this happened in our country. We have to do something to stop it. Right. When in truth, it's not the people of color who are committing these mass murders. No. We see it on TV. And by the way, the homicide rate in the United States is about as low as it's ever been. I think it's gone up a little bit in the last yeah. two years as the economy has softened. But basically, it's insanely low. And there's been all this speculation in the scientific community. There's you know a couple of books about this. The original Freakonomics book, which came out about 10, 15 years ago, suggested mm-hmm. that the reason why homicide and other violent crimes have dropped so precipitously since basically about 1995, between 1995 and 2000, basically over the last 20, 25 years, is just a steady decline. It was because of the legalization of abortion in 1973. So there were fewer mm-hmm. unwanted children, and unwanted children, you know, grow up in many cases to be antisocial. On the other hand, I know people who were unwanted children, and they have grown up to be wonderful human beings. But there was that. And then the other argument, and the one that I think actually probably has more cogency, is that we took the lead out of the gasoline back in the 1970s. 
And uh, as I recall, I think it was during the Carter administration. And lead is a potent neurotoxin, and it not only reduces IQs, but it increases the propensity for violence. And so this, this, you know, the generation that came of age around 2000 was the first generation in three or four or five generations in America not to have lots of lead in their bloodstreams. So that accounts for the decline in violence. But if you ask the average person who watches TV and TV news, they have no idea because none of this is put in context. It's like, oh my God, there was another kid kidnapped or oh my God, there was another killing. Leon, thank you for the call. Thank you. It's good talking with you. We'll be right back. If you believe that you're not being snooped on or that nobody cares about your online data, well, then I'm sorry to disappoint you, but you're wrong. Hackers, governments, and ad companies all slurp up your data. That's why I recommend getting the software that I trust to protect my online activity, ExpressVPN. Their apps use powerful encryption to secure your data. ExpressVPN runs in the background of your computer or phone, and then you use the internet just like you normally would. You download the app, click to connect, and you're protected. I never go online without ExpressVPN, and you shouldn't either. ExpressVPN is the fastest VPN, costs less than $7 a month, and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Take back your online privacy just like I did with ExpressVPN. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com tom. That's expressvpn.com tom for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com tom. That's expressvpn.com t-h-o-m for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com com to learn more. Tom Harmon here with you, Bob, in Skokie, Illinois. Hey, Bob, what's up? Listen, I live in a very orthodox uh, Jewish neighborhood. They love Trump. That's probably because of his close relationship with Netanyahu. Well, it's not even just Netanyahu, it's the state of Israel. I mean, they right. think that moving, they think, they don't really concede that there was any great aha that happened with him moving the embassy to Jerusalem, but they're happy that he did it because it sent a message, you know, to the Arab world and particularly to the Palestinians. That's number one. Number two... The message being, we're not on your side, we're, well, we're taking yeah, sides. Basically, basically, you're a bunch of phonies and, yeah. and whatever. And the second thing is, they don't want to put their finger on the economy, but they're giving them all the credit for the economy. And what I hear from a number of them, who are good friends, is he's still better than Hillary. Yeah. Everything that's happened, he's still better than Hillary. And... Well, what, what you've got, I mean, I hear the same thing from people, the anti-abortion folks, you know, because abortion has largely become a political issue now. The Democratic Party supporting the right to choose an abortion, the Republican Party supporting complete criminalization of abortions. And, you know, he's putting the right judges on the courts. That's all that matters. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you've got single issue voters. In your case, you know, Israel was the single issue. The single issue voters, at least one that I personally know, somebody who who has spent you know, much of his life as a Democrat, is abortion. Wealthy people, of course, uh, it's not the economy they like, it's the fact that they got a $1.5 trillion tax cut. So you've got all that. So basically, the bottom it, it, line single, here, Bob... Thomas. Tom, is single issue a, a relatively new a trend, or no. does it go way back? No, it goes way, it goes all the way back to the founding of the republic. And basically, what's happened is that both parties have put together single issue coalitions. Mm-hmm. And you know, on the, and the, on the Trump side, you've got the billionaire class. You've got you know very wealthy people. He's clearly catering to them. You know, throwing the country another trillion, two trillion dollars in debt in order to give them a trillion and a half dollars in tax cuts. The people who are vulnerable to religious hucksters, the televangelists, the people who are suckers for Jerry Falwell and Franklin Graham, 
Those people have been turned out by their leaders for Trump because Trump said that he would no longer have the IRS enforce the law against political activity by churches. It's not a law against it. They, you just can't keep your tax exemption well. They're mm-hmm. not enforcing that law. The right-wing racists. And it was enough to get him over the finish line, apparently. On the Democratic side, the coalition that they've put together is labor. You know, people who work for a living and particularly people who are involved with organized labor. People of color who have been marginalized and even hated on by the Republicans for years and years and years, which includes both African-American and Latino communities. And there's a kind of a change going on in that Democratic coalition in as much as the white-collar community, which is what Clinton basically reached out to in 92. He said, let's become the party of people who work in offices rather than the party of people who work in factories because the factories are going away and the offices are coming. But that part of the electorate has kind of split, you know, and all these libertarians emerging out of Silicon Valley and all this kind of stuff. So the question is, you know, which party can pull together the larger coalition? Of course, the Democrats have the people who are in favor of a woman's right to choose. And, you know, in Israel, I think it's mixed. You've got, you know, Democrats and Republicans. Well, the Republican Party is solidly gung-ho no matter what. You've got Democrats who are on both the two-state solution and Bibi Netanyahu can do no wrong and all that kind of stuff. So it's interesting to watch. Bob, i got to move along, but thank you for the call. Appreciate it. Jenny in American Falls, Idaho. What's up, Jenny? Well, I wanted to respond to, I believe it was Tyrone in New York that was adamant about the people who don't vote. I always vote, and I'm stuck in the middle of this Republican state here, but we did choose Bernie before he dropped out or was that put out. But what I wanted to make the point was, with the Electoral College, nobody's vote west of the Mississippi is even counted before the president is named. So I vote every time, and I send cards and letters and calls to Congress, but... I still feel like my vote doesn't count. Well, doing away with the Electoral College is not going to solve that problem, Jenny, because once more than roughly half of the electorate has been, you know, or once you have enough votes, even if it's just a popular vote, to clearly have the White House. Well, actually, there's a hell of a lot of people in California, almost 40 million people. That's probably, what, 16, 18 percent of the population of the United States. I don't know where it would stop, you know, where the time zone line would stop if you did away with the Electoral College. Certainly Hawaii would still be marginalized, but that's a good question to put to the fair vote people. I don't know the answer to that one. Jenny, thank you. Excellent points all. Will in Salem, Oregon. Hey, Will, what's up? Hey, hey, Tom, how you doing? This whole thing with Trump supporters and are they incapable of changing their feelings about Trump? I've seen one example in my entire the whole entire years, and it was this guy, Craig Moss, the Trump tributor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, I actually used to play uh, music with him. And, and I, I talked to him off and on, and, and what took it with him was his, his son dying of a heroin overdose. And that was so personal to him that, you know, he got turned off by Trump, by, you know, Trump's disparaging that. But right. th- this is basically all about psychology. I think the best approach with Trump supporters is, it sounds simple, but it's to tell the truth. There is a real healing function of of just telling the truth, and the truth is they're crazy. And I'm not saying that in a mean, disparaging way. It's like if you talk to someone who's hallucinating, you know, hearing voices or seeing things, the worst thing you can do is to deny their reality, which is 
no, you're not seeing anything. Yeah, you are seeing things, but you're hallucinating. And and to talk to someone who's, in my view, crazy, like uh, brainwashing is crazy, you should just say it clearly, dude, you're crazy. And then leave it at that. Or, dude, you've been brainwashed. And, right, and the right. people, the, the people, the, the place where you're getting your information is intentionally lying to you. And they're doing it because there is something in it for them. Excellent point, Bill. Thanks a lot for the call. Thanks for watching us on Facebook Live. This is the Tom Hartman Program. It's the Mueller Report, page 123. This is under the section events at the Republican National Convention. This is all about Russian contacts with the Trump campaign. In fact, the entire first half of the report is about that. This is Ambassador Kislyak's encounters with Senator Sessions and J.D. Gordon the week of the RNC. In July 2016, Senator Sessions and Gordon spoke at the Global Partners in Diplomacy event, a conference co-sponsored by the State Department and the Heritage Foundation, held in Cleveland, Ohio, the same week as the Republican National Convention, RNC or Convention. Approximately 80 foreign ambassadors to the United States, including Kislyak, were invited to the conference. On July 20, 2016, Gordon and Sessions delivered their speeches at the conference. In his speech, Gordon stated in pertinent part that the United States should have better relations with Russia. During Sessions' speech, he took questions from the audience, one of which may have been asked by Kislyak. When the speeches concluded, several ambassadors lined up to greet the speakers. Gordon shook hands with Kislyak and reiterated that he had meant what he said in the speech about improving U.S.-Russia relations. Sessions separately spoke with between six and 12 ambassadors, including Kislyak. Although Sessions stated during interviews with the office that he had no specific recollection of what he discussed with Kislyak, he believed that the two spoke for only a few minutes and that they would have exchanged pleasantries and said some things about U.S.-Russia relations. Later that evening, Gordon attended a reception as part of the conference. Gordon ran into Kislyak as the two prepared plates of food, and they decided to sit at the same table to eat. They were joined at the table by the ambassadors from Azerbaijan and Kazakhstan, and by Trump campaign advisor Carter Page. As they ate, Gordon and Kislyak talked for what Gordon estimated to have been three to five minutes, during which time Gordon again mentioned that he meant what he said in his speech about improving U.S.-Russian relations. B. Change to Republican Party Platform. In preparation for the 2016 convention, foreign policy advisors to the Trump campaign working with the uh, Republican National Committee reviewed the 2016 convention's foreign policy platform to identify divergence between the earlier platform and candidate Trump's positions. The campaign team discussed toning down the language from the 2016 platform that identified Russia as our country's number one threat, given the candidates' belief that there needed to be better U.S. relations with Russia. The RNC Platform Committee sent the 2016 draft platform to the National Security and Defense Platform Subcommittee on July 10, 2016, the evening before its first meeting, to propose amendments. Although only delegates could participate in formal discussions and vote on the platform, the Trump campaign could request changes, and members of the Trump campaign attended committee meetings. John Mashburn, the campaign's policy director, helped oversee the campaign's involvement in the platform committee meetings. He told the office, Mueller's office, that he directed campaign staff at the convention, including J.D. Gordon, to take a hands-off approach and only to challenge platform planks if they directly contradicted Trump's wishes. On July 11, 2016, Delegate Diana Denman submitted a proposed platform amendment that included provisions for armed support for Ukraine. The amendment described Russia's, quote, ongoing military aggression in Ukraine and announced, quote, support 
for, quote, maintaining and, if warranted, increasing sanctions against Russia until Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity are fully restored, and for providing lethal defensive weapons to Ukraine's armed forces and greater coordination with NATO on defense planning, end quote. Gordon reviewed the proposed platform changes, including Denman's. Gordon stated that he flagged this amendment because of Trump's stated position on Ukraine, which Gordon personally heard the candidates say in the March 31st foreign policy meeting, namely that the Europeans should take primary responsibility for any assistance to Ukraine, that there should be improved U.S.-Russia relations, and that he did not want to start World War III over that region. Gordon told the office that Trump's statements on the campaign trail following the March meeting underscored those positions to the point where Gordon felt obliged to object to the proposed platform change and seek its dilution. On July 11, 2016, at a meeting of the National Security and Defense Platform Subcommittee, this is of the RNC, Denman offered her amendment. Gordon and another campaign staffer, Matt Miller, approached a committee co-chair and asked him to table the amendment to permit further discussion. Gordon's concern with the amendment was the language about providing, quote, lethal defensive weapons to Ukraine. Miller did not have any independent basis to believe that this language contradicted Trump's views and relied on Gordon's recollections of the candidate's views. According to Denman, she spoke with Gordon and Matt Miller, and they told her that they had to clear the language and that Gordon was, quote, talking to New York. Denman told others that she was asked by the two Trump campaign staffers to strike lethal defense weapons from the proposal, but that she refused. Denman recalled Gordon saying that he was on the phone with candidate Trump, but she was skeptical about whether that was true. Gordon denied having told Denman that he was on the phone with Trump, although he acknowledged it was possible that he mentioned having previously spoken to the candidate about the subject matter. Gordon's phone records reveal a call to Sessions' office in Washington that afternoon, but do not include calls directly to a number associated with Trump. And according to the president's written answers to the office's questions, he does not recall being involved in the change in language of the platform amendment. Gordon stated that he tried to reach Rick Dearborn, a senior foreign policy advisor, and Mashburn, the campaign policy director. Gordon stated that he connected with both of them, he could not recall if by phone or in person, and apprised them of the language he took issue with in the proposed amendment. Gordon recalled no objection by either Dearborn or Mashburn. It is the Mueller report. We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 